one time there was a pastor. And this pastor had had it. He was up to here. He had heard all he wanted to hear from his congregation. And the problem is the people kept complaining. No matter what he did, they complained. And finally, he decided that he would get away for a little while and seek God. And believe it or not, what did they do while he was gone? They complained while he was gone because now they were complaining because he was gone. They probably complained that he wasn't getting away enough. And as soon as he left, now they're complaining that he's away. And then, here's the unbelievable part. Not only did they complain, but they used his absence as an opportunity to kind of do their own thing. To begin to do what they wanted to do. And not only that, they began to say, you know, we would like another God that we could worship. So they actually formed a new God in their own image. Now, do you know the pastor I'm talking about? His name was Moses. And he had a congregation of six million complaining people. (laughs) And when he complained, when they complained... You know, he would try to explain and try to talk to them, try and reason with them. And finally, the building of the the idol, the golden calf, while he was up on the mountain seeking God, and he comes back, and they're having a wild Mardi Gras party. And he said, that's it. I've had it with these people. And once that is all settled, he goes to God and he says, Lord, these people, these people that you gave me, what are you going to do? And it's in Exodus 33. It's kind of an interesting and it's always been, to me, a very powerful passage. Because not only does Moses kind of pour out his heart and say, Lord, you know, you you need to do something. You need to help me with these people. And I can relate to him. I can relate to where he's coming from. And I want you to look at the passage. It's in Exodus chapter 33 and it's verse 12 and 13. This is what he says to God. He says, one day Moses says to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land. But you haven't told me whom you will send with me. (laughs) In other words, I'm doing this all by myself and this is getting old. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. So that's what God has told him, but he's not feeling it. If it is true that you look favorably on me. Let me know your ways so that I can understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember, 
that this nation, this is your very own people. In other words, God, you've told me that you have extended favor to me, that you look upon me with favor, that this was supposed to be a blessing, but it's not working out real well because these are stubborn, obstinate, complaining people. So, Lord, you haven't sent anybody with me to help me. So would you give me a little more understanding so I can understand fully how this is going to come off? How in the world am I going to get these people to the promised land the way they are? And I I love God's answer. So simple, so profound. And it's it's a word that really speaks through the ages. It's in verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. (laughs) Wow. And I will give you rest. Everything's going to be fine for you. And the reason it's going to be fine, because God is going to go with you. He's not going to send somebody else. He's not going to send some other helper. He's going to come, and he is going to be with Moses personally and you think about it God is saying my presence of who God is is going to be with you and if God's presence is with us it is going to be okay and you see here even here in Exodus 20 you see how God wants to be with us. Remember when Jesus came, one of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. It has always been God's heart to be with us, to be part of us. And as I read the 23rd Psalm and looked at that verse 6, we're going to read the whole Psalm again. We've read it each time. But I want us to read it one more time. We're going to focus in on verse 6 because that's how we're going to close this out is verse 6. Let's look at Psalm 23 and let's read the whole thing again. We're going to read it out loud. We've read it aloud each week. Let's go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I want you to understand that because of the relationship that has been established in verse 1 through 5. The result is verse 6. How did we start out? 
First of all, we started out, Brother Ben began the series and establishes he is our good shepherd. And then the next week we talked about how he is our provision, I shall not want. And then we talked about how he is our restorer. He restores my soul. And then he's our protection. And then last week we talked about how that the enemy has been defeated. And now this week we begin to see about what he was the picture he was trying to paint in verse 6. You know, and I think about if you will allow God to have this kind of relationship, provider, protector, restore the good shepherd, if you will allow him to be that kind of God, then what will happen is that the goodness and the mercy of God will pursue you all your life. Now, did you catch that? You are not pursuing goodness and mercy. It's following you. Wherever you go... Wherever you are, surely goodness and mercy, the kindness and favor of God, because that's what it's talking about, it's after us. You cannot outrun the goodness of God. You you might even want to say, you know, I need a break. Well, God won't give you a break. He's after you. He will pursue you with His goodness and His mercy. All the days of our life, because of the relationship you have in verse 1 through 5, the mercy and goodness and favor of God is after us, pursuing us, following after us. And then, to me, for me personally, the most powerful picture in the entire 23rd Psalm, and that is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, first of all, let's just let's just discuss this. He could not possibly mean literally that you're going to dwell in a house. That's not going to happen. So, what is he saying? The house of the Lord was where you enjoyed the presence of God. It's where you came to meet God. It's where God came to dwell in you and with you and through you. And you begin to enjoy His presence. And you begin to worship Him and love Him and come to know Him. The house of the Lord was the place of God's presence. And for the Jewish people, the temple where the Holy of Holies was, was the presence of God. And so what David was saying, and he actually repeated this similar phrase throughout the Psalms. How that he wanted always to be in the house of the Lord. Forever. What David was saying was that because of all of this, I'm going to enjoy the presence of God forever. And I want you to consider with me just a moment how important, how important the presence of of God really is. And so just to do that, I, I, first of all, what is the presence of God? Well, I believe that it is an awareness that He's with you. 
presence is the awareness that he is present. But it's, it's actually more than that. It is being able to sit in his presence and enjoy him. And enjoy him speaking to you. It, it's communication with the God of this world. God of this universe, God of all things. It is communing or communicating with God Himself and letting Him speak to your heart. You see, it is uniquely different. There is intercession, there is supplication. Intercession is when we pray for others or another situation other than ours. Supplication is we're we're making requests for our own life. But communion communicating the presence of God is where you just are able to enjoy Him. You know, and I've I've noticed this in my prayer life sometimes that I, I get alone with God and I get busy because I have so many things I want to pray about and I have so many situations and people and circumstances and things coming up and things I'm going to do and things other people are doing, people that need healing. And, and I get overwhelmed because I have a, a prayer list of people that I pray for every day and in the church and friends and family. And, and I do, I'm praying for those. And then, you know, occasionally I'll get all that and I finally finish that. And then I, I, I think, okay, I'm finished. I'm ready to go do something. I'm I'm ready to go get on about the day. And so many times the Lord just chastens me and gently says, don't leave. Don't leave. That's all preliminary. That's, That's all stuff that needed to be gotten out of the way. Now just sit down, Renee. Shut up. And enjoy my presence. Let me speak to you. Let me tell you how much I love you. God wants to tell you. To speak to your heart. He wants to tell you. How much he loves you. He wants you to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's not something that you do occasionally. You know, this is not something that I would say is an option or a good idea. This is a necessity of life to enjoy His presence. Now, how does it happen? How does it happen that we can enjoy His presence? It is because of the Holy Spirit. Everybody with me now? It's because of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they did not have... The abiding and dwelling power of the Holy Spirit residing in them. What happened, you see this throughout the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings would have the Holy Spirit to come upon them for special situations at special times to accomplish a special thing. But then that Holy Spirit would be gone. And the Holy Spirit would come upon a priest or become upon a prophet, and he would prophesy, or he would write a prophetic word, or it would come upon a king, or it would come upon a prophet, whatever it was. But it was not what we have today. You see, that was the promise in Joel 2.28. 
that the day would come that the Holy Spirit would come upon all flesh, not just prophet, priest, and king, but we would all be able to enjoy the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Now, when does that happen? Turn, if you would, to John chapter 14. Let's just read verse 25, 26, and 27. He says, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you with a gift. He's referring still to the Holy Spirit. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give, it's a gift the world cannot give you. So, don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be worried. Because the gift that I'm going to give you, and that is the Holy Spirit, it will abide within you. And late at night, He's there. You get up early. Some of you, you probably went to bed. I don't know if you watched the LSU game or not. You might have. I don't know what time you went. But we got an extra hour of sleep last night. I have a hard time adjusting to these sleep things. Because, you know, we were up at 2 o'clock this morning, you know, rambling around and uh, trying to get my clock readjusted. Normally we get up at 4. So now that we're going to have to get it all back to normal. But if you get up, I don't care what time you get up, he's there. He's there. He's with you. He's ready to meet with you. He's ready to talk with you. He's ready for you to enjoy Him and for Him to enjoy you. That is given to you at new birth. When you get born again, and we pray for people almost every week, they come down here and I pray with them to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life, to be born of the Spirit, to be born again. When that happens... The Holy Spirit is now placed within us. We call that the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You receive it at new birth. It was the promise, the gift Jesus referred to. And when he died and was resurrected, that's what he wanted to give all of his people. That's why in John chapter 20, it said Jesus appeared in the upper room to his disciples He let them see his hands and his side. And then as soon as that was over, he said, Now, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. And I believe they were born again. And from that point forward, when you were born again, we received the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we also can receive the Holy Spirit as an infilling. He talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, an infilling or power of the Holy Spirit that can come upon us. It always uses that unique word, comes upon us, but that has a unique purpose. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is to allow us to develop the character and the fruit of God. 
to develop the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, temperance, all those things. He wants to get on the inside of us and change us from the inside. But the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us, that's for power to be a bold witness. That's what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, comes upon you, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Power to be a witness. So, those are available. You can be born again and receive that indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You can receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit because you were born again. And it means that at any time, any day, any hour, any situation, you can sense. If you learned it, and I don't know how, this is a good illustration. It's kind of like tuning. You, you probably don't remember tuning an old radio. Some of you got everything's push button, you know. Uh, you know, everything's digital. But back in the old days, we actually had radios you turned dials with. And you had to tune it in and get it just at the right spot. And once it was tuned in, that signal was there. Well, in a real sense, in life, spiritually, we learn to tune in to the Holy Spirit and His speaking to you. And for me, it's it's early morning or when things are real quiet. It's not that you can't hear the Holy Spirit when a lot's going on, but it's a whole lot harder. It is. So that's why it's so good. You'll just set aside a portion of the day early in the morning, get alone with God, and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. And And I just relate this a little bit to husband and wife relationship. You know, if you love your wife and your wife loves you, you can just sit there and enjoy each other's presence and you don't have to talk a whole lot. Because you know they love you and you know you love them. And communicating is good, but sometimes just being with one another is good too. And God wants to commune, to communicate with you. Now, I want to answer this question because why? Why is this so important? And if you relate it to Psalm 23, why was this the last picture he wanted to give us? What was so important about us dwelling in the house of the Lord forever? What was so important about us dwelling in God's presence forever? One or two, a couple of verses. Psalm 16, verse 11. I don't know if you've ever seen it this way, but 1611 of Psalms says this. You will show me the way of life. Some of the translation says the pathway of life. Granting me the joy of your presence. And the pleasures of living with you forever. Interesting. The pathway of life. The path of life. Entering in or granting us the joy of entering into His presence. 
the more I thought about that and I began to read and talk and think and meditate and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, I want to understand more about your presence and how important it is. And then in prayer one morning, I felt like the Lord had me to turn to the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to ask you to turn there if you if you would. And if you have your Bibles, if not, I'll have it up on the screen. But verse 19 through 22. And I want you to think about the importance of the presence of God and put this together. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. So that's what purchased our ability. By his death, Jesus opened a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So verse 19 talks about coming into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now verse 20 says, Jesus has opened this new way into this most holy place. And then verse 21, he says, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, referring to Jesus, let us do what? Go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now, just follow me just a little bit. First two verses, he says, He's made a way so that we can enter into the most holy place. Okay? Now, since we know he could not possibly be referring to us jetting up to heaven and entering into the most holy place in heaven, so what is he referring to? He's referring to exactly what he said here in verse 22 where he says, let's go right into the presence of God. The most holy place that was purchased by the blood of Jesus, that was made a new and living way by Jesus himself, that place, that most holy of holies for us today is us going right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. And as I read that, I began to meditate on that. The Lord said this to me. He said, everything Jesus did at the cross was so that we could enter into his presence. Just consider that just for a moment. Everything Jesus did at the cross had the goal, the purpose the object that we would do this, enter right in to the presence of God. And we can do that with assurance assurance of heart because the place has been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. The new and living way has been bought and paid for by Jesus himself. So since we have a high priest that has paid the price, paid for our sin, we can enter right into the holy presence of God with hearts that are fully assured that we are welcome there. 
everything God has done in the Word and in our life leads in one direction. And that is to lead us into His presence. Just consider that just for a moment. And and the reason I'm emphasizing this is because I believe so many people, they neglect this area. They, they, They don't see this as a necessity. They kind of take it or leave it. And, you know, some people have this mentality. And that is, as long as I will serve God, everything's going to be okay. But I submit to you that our service is not the goal. Jesus did not die on the cross so he could have more servants. He died on the cross to get our sin out of the way so we could enter into the presence of God. If he needed servants, he would create a million more angels or a hundred million more angels if all he needed were servants. Now, it is true we are to serve him. But we are to serve him because we love him and we have a relationship with him. And we want to please him and honor him because that is a flow that comes out of the presence of God. Out of relationship comes a desire to please and honor and serve. But unfortunately, Christianity, somewhere down the road, got hung up and began believing that the goal of everything is to serve. And if all you do is just to serve, Eventually, you'll burn out. That's just the truth. At some point, you'll just get tired of doing. The goal is not the doing. The goal is the presence of God. It's it's to come into His presence. And that's why when we worship, Why do we put worship at such a preeminent place at the very beginning? Why do we spend so much time in worship? Because it is so important. It is not an afterthought. It is our opportunity to corporately come into worship of the Almighty God, Holy God of this universe. We can do that because of the blood of Jesus. And it is our honor and our privilege to come into His presence and worship Him. You know, I'm going to say this. One of the things I look for when I'm looking for people to hold a position of leadership, I want to know they worship. I'm less interested in their talent and their ability. And I'm super interested, are they a worshiper of God? Because to me, when you're a worshiper of God, it it tells me there's a relationship there that's right. There's a relationship. They may not be perfect. They may not have it all together. But they have a heart to say, I want to worship God. 
So, why do we why do we miss God's presence? Why do we put it secondary? Obviously, one reason is lack of knowledge. People have not been taught. If you are brought up in a church that were, you were never taught that the entering into the presence of God was very important, and all they ever taught you was you need to work, you need to serve, you need to obey, you need to do the right thing, you need to get in line, you need to do this, you need to comb your hair this way, you need to wear your pants that way, you need to do this, you need to do that, and if you don't do that, God doesn't love you, then your whole life becomes a whole set of rules and regulations hoping God will love you if you'll follow all the rules. That's not it. (laughs) That's just not it. God wants a whole nation of people who will draw near. You might remember, and this kind of comes in, besides lack of knowledge, sometimes fear of His presence. I love the little story back in Exodus chapter 20. Let's read it. It's in... uh, Verse 18 through 21, it says, "When the and, and let me just, before I read this, let me set the stage. God told Moses, actually told him in, in, in verse chapter 19, he said, Moses, I want a whole nation of priests. And the word priest means people who will draw near to me. That's what he wanted. So now he tells Moses, he said, go get the people and tell them, I want them to draw near to me. And this is what happens. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but we don't want God to speak to us directly or we're going to die. Look what Moses says. Don't be afraid. Moses answered them. For God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of Him will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. You see, God reveals how awesome He is. Not because He's mad at you, not because He wants to scare you to death but that you would understand He's an awesome God. He's an amazing, awesome, majestic, holy God. And the realization that He is such an amazing, holy God, you should stop sinning and shouldn't want to sin. It's that reverential fear that we have that really makes us think twice before we do this or this or this. And if you had parents who taught you the reverential fear of your parents, that reverential fear would keep you out of a whole lot of trouble. My daddy said, if I ever catch you smoking, I'm going to break your arm, son. Now, you have to realize with my daddy, who was a uh, uh, an auto mechanic that had big arms about that big, at least I think they were about that big, and my daddy never... Made idle promises. So when he said he'd break my arm, I fully believed 
that somehow, some way, he would find out if I ever smoked a cigarette. So I have never smoked a cigarette in my entire life. And I'm none the worse for it, by the way. But it was my reverential fear of my daddy <laughs> that kept me from ever even trying it when my daddy was nowhere around. Because I just thought he'd smell it and he'd break my arm. I don't want that. So I didn't. Real simple. And here Moses says, you know, the people are saying, God is saying, I want you to draw near. I want you to draw near. But you need to understand when you draw near to God, he's a holy God. So come reverentially. With a reverent, holy fear of the Lord. Not cowering fear, but a holy fear of the Lord. He wants us to come, but we don't come with this slap-happy mentality that he's our good buddy. He's not our good buddy. He's a holy God. He's an amazing God. Interesting. You see this in the last verse here. They stayed at a distance. But what did Moses do? He approached the dark cloud where God was. Just think about this answer. They stayed at a distance. But Moses walked right into the dark cloud. What was the difference? Why were they afraid and Moses wasn't afraid? He knew God. He had spent time with God. He had seen the burning bush. He had seen the miracles of God. He had seen the Red Sea open up. He had seen the awesome power and love of God. He knew God was a good God. Even though He's majestic and powerful, He's a good God. He knew that about God. So He wasn't afraid to draw near. And so I want to say to you, He longs for you to draw near to Him. If the purpose of the cross, if the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross was for you to enter into His presence, how sad it is that so much of the church does not enter into His presence. The very thing that Jesus died for and longs for, that we would come into His presence And be able to spend time with Him and tell Him how much we love Him. And I said a minute ago, fear, one of the reasons. You know, I think sometimes we're afraid that God's going to rebuke us, chasten us, we get alone. But I want to tell you, if He rebukes you, it's a gentle rebuke. When I get alone with God and I spend time with Him, He doesn't beat me over the head. He just gently says, Renee, you need to stop doing that. You need to do this. That's not good. But I love you. I'm going to help you in this. He's not out to hurt us. He's there because He loves us. Just like a loving father, loving mother. He loves us. So what are some other reasons people miss? Can be uh, 
you know, lack of knowledge, like I said, could be fear of his presence. And then the other thing is sometimes we just get too busy. Let me just ask you just to be honest with me just for a moment. I'm not going to get graded on this. Don't have to turn in a paper. But how many of you, and I'm guilty of this too, but how many of you just get flat too busy to spend time with God? Anybody? Yeah, I do it. Hey, you got a thousand things on the schedule? <laughs> you got people calling you and texting you. You need to do this. You need to do that. This has got to happen. That's got to happen. Oh, you got to do this. Oh, this is blowing up over here. And, and you just feel all this pressure that all these things have to be done. And you just get busy. And, and the other day, I, you know, I was considering walking out of the house, go get some stuff that needed to be done. And I hadn't really spent time with the Lord. And I was just challenged. He just challenged me with this question. He said, Renee, what's more important than me? What's more important than me? What is so direly important on your schedule that's more important than God? And if I was honest, there was nothing more important than God. Now, I had some things I thought I had to do, but it wasn't more important than God. And at some point, we've got to make a decision. I'm going to spend time with him. Jesus met a young woman at the well, John chapter 4. The woman was a Samaritan. He met her at noontime. That's the time all the women that didn't have a very good reputation would be there when the sun is up. And Jesus was there and she was shocked as a Jew he was there. And she began to converse with Jesus, began to tell Jesus what she knew about God. And Jesus said this to her after he revealed some things about her. He made this statement, amazing. He said, God is seeking those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. She was living with a man that wasn't her husband and had had five husbands. But he didn't talk to her about immorality or adultery. He didn't mention that. That was a problem, but that was not the real problem. The real problem, she had never learned that her greatest need was worshiping God. You see, we get into our these messes in our life and we get into sin and sin robs us, steals from us. But most of all, it keeps us from His presence. You know, today, I let me just say this. When I was in the prison Friday night, it was in that chapel and it was filled they started out just like we did. They started out worshiping God. Man, the choir was singing so loud. The drummer was the worship leader. 
he was beating the drums just as loud as he could beat them. They were singing with all their hearts. And I turned around behind me to see all, basically the church, all the inmates. And I saw probably 60, maybe 70% had their hands up, singing and worshiping with all of their heart. But then there were about 20 or 30% who were just sitting there. Like, hmm, I'll be. And this thought came to my head. I thought, you know, the church in that prison is no different from every church in America. Every church in America. It doesn't matter whether there are bars there or no bars. We all have the opportunity and the choice whether we enter into worship or not. They had that opportunity, and most of them were. And I commend you that when we have the opportunity, most of you do, but some of you don't. You know, maybe you grew up in a church where you you never moved. Now, I admit, I grew up in a Baptist church, and we never raised our hands. And I guess we were taught the, the, the more still we were, the holier we were. So I was like a church mouse. You know, I didn't move. But I just want to tell you, I don't care what your church you grew up in. I don't care what your background is. I don't care the way you grew up. You can become a worshiper of God. But what you have to do is you have to realize how important it is to God. That this is the goal. This is the pathway of life. This is the path of life to enter into His presence. The joys of entering into His presence. The new and living way was so that we would enter right into the presence of God. The blood of Jesus was shed so that we could enter into the presence of God. So understand how important it is. And then what I learned was I just have to stop worrying about everybody else. That gave me a lot of hang-ups. First time I was in a church where they was raising their hands and I had never raised my hand, all I wanted to do was go like this. I wanted to see what everybody else was doing because, you know, how are they doing this? And I began to imagine what it would be like with my hands up. And I began to wonder, will it hurt me? And then I thought, what is the, what are they going to think? But at some point, and I can't tell you where, at some point, I just came to a decision. It really doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It really doesn't. All that matters is what God thinks. And I was going to worship Him. And once I just closed out everybody else and thought, I don't care what y'all think. 
I'm going to worship the God of creation, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who died for me on the cross. I'm going to worship you and pour out my heart to you whatever way I can with all of my heart, with no abandon. And here I am, Lord. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter whether my hands were up or not. I was going to worship Him. So, I'm going to ask you to do this. First of all, let's pray. Lord, I just ask you today you've heard me Lord as I encourage the people about entering into the very presence of God and Lord my prayer for this church living word church and every person in this room every person in this church Lord that we would be worshipers We would be what you said in John 4, and that is the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Lord, we would be that group of people who would worship you in spirit and in truth. And we wouldn't worry about what anybody thinks. We wouldn't worry about what anybody uh, says about us. So we just simply want to worship you. Lord, I pray that every day, every moment, we would learn to enjoy your presence. And realize how amazingly important entering into your presence really is. That it really is the pathway of life. It's the only thing that satisfies us. Thank you, Lord. Help us. In the name of Jesus. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet. And I'm just going to ask you, we're going to sing that song, Jesus. The center of our life. It's all about Jesus. Jesus so, as they go ahead, y'all just go ahead and sing. I just want to encourage you. Maybe you want to come down to the front and worship the Lord. Maybe in the aisles, maybe right where you stand. It doesn't matter. But I just want to encourage you today. Instead of feeling like you've got to rush out, let's just worship the Lord for a little bit. Offer to Him your praise and your worship. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, and nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. It's Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're the center.
Father, it is our heart this morning that you would teach us how to be worshipers. Lord, teach us how to enter into your presence. Teach us to make time, to spend time with you. Teach us what it's like, Lord. Help us to enjoy that sweet, sweet presence. As you tell us how much you love us, and we tell you how much we love you. Help us, Lord. In a busy, crazy world, help us, Lord, to enjoy you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And all the people of God said, Amen.